meeting Sister Grandfather for the first time this week. Amen. Congratulations to Eric and Lacey. Praise the Lord. First grandsons named Bodie. Seven pounds, ten and a half ounces. Am I right on? Ten ounces. That's right. His mom was a little bit bigger, ten and a half. Yeah, so seven pounds, ten ounces. And so congratulations to Isaiah and Brooke and also Eric and Lacey. Uh, what an amazing, beautiful baby boy that God has blessed them with. And so just excited to see that. I know Brooke was like, it's about time. So <laughs> she was overdue um, for the first baby. But praise the Lord, everything went well. And uh, Eric's mind is just a little bit off tonight. But it's okay, Eric. We understand. Yeah, don't worry. Oh, it froze up on you? Is that what happened? Okay. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. Let's have our ushers come forward. We'll take up our offering tonight. Good to see you all tonight. We had a great week last week. Did you all enjoy the missions conference? It was a great week. And uh, praise the Lord, some of the wonderful missionaries that were with us. I'm certainly glad to be back tonight, though, and I'm glad you're here with us. Let's ask the Lord to bless the offering tonight. Eric, would you please lead us? Amen. Let's go ahead and take up our offering. Um, Continue to be in prayer, obviously, for Bodie, and, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Um, just a couple of announcements I wanted to let you know about things that are happening. I can't believe we're already talking about it, but our anniversary is coming up November the 6th. We're just about a little over a month away, um, but on November the 6th, we'll be celebrating our 38th anniversary uh, celebration. And uh, so be looking for a clipboard next week for food. <laughs> we just got through a three or four of them from the missions conference. Uh, but that's coming up. Excited about that, though, and, and so be, be praying about that. Um, and uh, so praise the Lord for that. Another praise, and I know we could talk about it when we get to prayer time, but I just want to say praise the Lord. Uh, today at the uh, Mason County uh, School Club um, for our youth group, Pastor Parker was there, and, and uh, praise the Lord, there were four young men that got saved today at, uh, at, our, our, uh, at the actual uh, youth group gathering. And uh, they ended up coming tonight. They're actually here right now. They got saved today. Uh, they're at a youth group tonight. So praise the Lord for that. That's the true answer to prayer. You see four that came to know Christ as their Savior um, and um, immediately came to church. Man, praise the Lord. That's great. What an opportunity. And so we praise the Lord for that. Just excited about that. Let's get our Bibles out tonight. If you would, turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 is where we're looking. of what it was a second ago so hello can you hear me we've got a new sound system back there and we're still trying to figure it out so bear, bear with us a little bit if you could all right that's good um i need some help looking tonight i would like to read through these verses we're going to read verses 12 through 26 and i'd like to get your help you can turn me down a little bit now up there and a little bit up in the monitor um if i could get somebody that would be willing to read verses 12 through 15 let's if i could get the volunteer thank you brother i appreciate that 12 through 15 and then 16 through 20, who'd be willing to do 16 through 20? Thank you, Tim. And then 21 through 26, verses 21 through 26. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that, Sam. So let's go ahead and look there together, and uh, we'll read the scripture. We'll then um, we'll get into our study tonight. 
Now go ahead and look there, Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Let's begin with verse 12. Thank you. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would now speak to our hearts as we study your word. Help our faith to grow. Lord, we thank you for this uh, great uh, passage of scripture. We see this great prayer meeting. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to understand the need for prayer. Thank you so much for allowing us, Lord, to come before your throne. Lord, may we never take for granted the privilege we have to come boldly into your throne of grace. Lord, I thank you so much for the blood that was shed. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place and allowing us to come in your name. I pray in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I want to begin um, looking here and, and want to review just a kind of a, a quick review of what we're doing as far as on Wednesday nights. We're doing a Bible study through the book of Acts. Uh, the overall name of the Bible study is the Church of Blaze. We're looking at the very first church, the very beginning how God used it, how God blessed it. We've been going uh, uh, verse by verse and studying it. I really want our time on Wednesday nights to be a time of, of true Bible study, really looking at it and studying each verse um, and gleaning from it, letting our, our faith grow as we do study it. 
And if we want to have a successful church, um, it's like if you're looking at a, 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 in football, if you're looking at a team that is successful, you go back and you look at the years of success, how they got there, what was done to be a successful team. Of course, the Lions have never figured that concept out, I understand. They, they've never copied a successful team successfully, all right? Now, the church there in the Acts, we see the very beginning of the church. We see how God blessed it in such a great way. So you're like, that was a terrible illustration. I know. But I want to be better than just a, a, a regular church. We need to look back at a church that God blessed in a great way, how God used it, and how they had the power of God upon that church. And I, I don't believe that God is any different today than he was then. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The power of God is still the same today. Now, some of the way that things, the way that God does things today is different, perhaps, in some ways. But God is still in the business of seeing people get saved and still in the business of answering prayer and still in the business of empowering his followers, his children, to fulfill the Great Commission. And so we can go back and look at a lot of this is so applicable to us. Now, we're not going to be electing a new apostle in our church. I can say that. Um, we're not going to be speaking in tongues in this church as we study this. There's going to be some things that are a little bit different, and as we go, we'll talk about that. But there are so many things that we can glean from what this church was, how they conducted themselves, what, what took place, where the power was at, that we can apply to our personal life and then to our church life as well. And so it's my desire that we would be truly a church ablaze, a church that is on fire for God, where God would allow us to continue to see souls saved. And and, and, you know, it's, that is really what it's all about. We, we are here. God has left us here to fulfill the Great Commission. And it's not something that we can do in our own power. And so we see here, looking at these passages of Scripture, you might call it an amazing prayer meeting. That's where we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Um, and re remember, after Christ's ascension, the disciples, they may have been tempted to start out, get out there, do it in their own strength, get out to get going. They had already been given the Great Commission. Christ ascended. He had given them a great commission several times. We see then one of the last things that Christ gave them was Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, and telling them they're going to go forth. And, of course, we see the predicate to them going forth, though, was they were going to receive power. They needed that power. They could have gone forth without that power and tried to do it in their own strength. And we have found many times that that does not work. We see examples of that in the Bible. A few weeks ago, we talked about that in depth. But here they are. They, they could have gone on their own strength, but they didn't do that. They trusted God to give his power according to his plan, according to his timing. And so they waited. They did what God said to do. They waited on God's timing. You remember what, what F.B. Meyer said. He said, God's delays are not God's denials. There are times in our life when it's more important that we wait on God. Wait. That doesn't mean perpetually forevermore. We sit in the pew and never do anything. It means there's times in our life when we have to wait and ask God for the power in many areas of our life. And so God has his times. God has his purposes. They understood that. Now, so what happened in those 10 days? The 10-day period from the ascension of Christ to the, uh, the sending of the Holy Spirit of God. What happened in those 10 days? And so what were the apostles doing during that time? And that was kind of the foundation of what we looked at a couple of weeks ago and um, looking at this amazing prayer meeting. One of the things they did was they had a great time of prayer. And this whole passage of Scripture that we've read here tonight is soaked in prayer. And the incredible thing is that the first Christians who made up the first church, they accomplished so much. You think about the thousands that came to know Christ as their Savior. You think about the great power that they had. They did so much, 
with so little. The early church did not have the, the kind of organization that we have today, the kind of buildings that we have today, the kind of budgets that we have today, the kind of trained leadership that we have today. They, did, they didn't have the type of seats that you're sitting in that we have today. Praise the Lord for those. But, you know, they didn't have all these things. And yet they did so much with so little. So what was the secret? And we talked about this great a couple of weeks ago in a great extent, but we talked about the secret was the fact that they had the Word of God, they had the Spirit of God, and they had prayer. They had the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and prayer. I want to ask if you would just say that with me. Let's say it together. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and prayer. Let's say it again. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and prayer. That is the key to having a successful ministry, to having a successful Christian life, to having a church that would be ablaze. It is having the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and prayer. Here these disciples, they depended on the Spirit of God. They prayed before the throne of God. They preached the Word of God. That was where all the power was. That's why they saw the God work in such a great and powerful way. And so if we're going to look, uh, you know, a lot of people today, they're looking for ideas of how to have church growth. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not totally against, you know, change as far as trying to do things to reach people. This is a lot of change in here. You'll see it. It's a nice place to come. It's a place that's welcoming. It's a place that you want to have the proper sound, trying to get the proper acoustics. You're wanting to have a proper place to sit. You know, all of these things are wonderful. Having a, a, a nice lobby, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and by the way, I'm not making a statement of change tonight by not wearing a coat, even though a coat doesn't make me holy. I normally like to wear a coat because it helps to cover the side view that I have. And, uh, but uh, I'm not wearing it tonight because I forgot my black coat at home and nothing else would go. So I'm, I'm not, not, not just trying to become a liberal because I'm not wearing my coat tonight, even though that wouldn't make me a liberal anyway. I'm having some fun with that. But, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with change, but there are some things that should never change. We should never change the fundamentals of the faith. We should never change where we realize the power of God comes from. God will lead us in different ways to do different things in, at different times. You know, somebody led somebody to start a Sunday school ministry. I'm trying to remember the founder of Sunday school program. It wasn't Jack Hiles, by the way. Um, it was years ago. And you go back and look at it, and it, God led them to start the Sunday school. It actually happened in England, and it started out because they were trying to teach kids how to read because at that time they had kids working in mines and factories. They weren't getting an education. They started a Sunday school to actually teach them. God used that in a great and powerful way. There's a time for that. It was something that was new, though, to them at that time. Bus ministry, it was something that was new. There's things that happen that are new, but there's something that will never change if we're going to be a church that has the power of God on it, and that is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and prayer. And if we don't get that right, if we don't make that the foundation, we can change everything else, and it's not going to do any good. I mean, we can have a coffee bar out there with the best tasting coffee in the world. It's not possible because I've been to Ethiopia. They have the best coffee in the world. We're never going to do I've looked high and low. I've never been able to find any coffee that comes close to what I had there in Ethiopia. But, I mean, we can have a coffee bar out there. We can have a nice welcome center. We're, you know, we're working on that. We can have a nice floor. We have all these different things. But unless we have the Word of God, the Spirit of God in prayer, we're never going to experience what God wants to do in this church. And it might sound like I'm being a broken record, but we really need to make sure that we're focusing on the most important thing. And so it, it's, you look at the, the early church, you know, right there, they, they didn't have all these things. What they had was the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and prayer. 
And so it's important that we learn from that, that we actually apply that, not just by talking about it, but actually in what we do as a member here at this church, as a child of God, as an ambassador for Christ. And so I want to review, let's just look real quickly what we looked at two weeks ago. The first point we noticed was this, that the work of God brought supplication. It brought supplication. Once again, they knew that by themselves they couldn't do the work that God had called them to do. They could do nothing. And in anticipation of the work that lay before them, they got on their knees and prayed. They prayed to God. Now, it's interesting. It's something that struck me a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this was this, the fact that this was the first time in a very long time that they could not talk to Jesus Christ directly. He had ascended into heaven. They had three and a half years, there they were with him, they were able to talk with him, they were able to ask the question, they were able to hear him pray, they were being taught. I mean, can you imagine all that interaction they had, and now he's gone. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, when somebody that you love dearly goes and leaves, it hurts. It's hard. You miss them immensely. Man, I miss Callie. I was talking to her last week, and there was just a day after she left where it kind of struck you, and if you're a parent and you've had children move out of the house it just kind of strikes you and and it's like for me I I was I was weeping because I missed her you know I, I wasn't able to just say hey Callie and she's in the she's not in the house right now she's down at college she's gone and I've had that happen twice already before her and I understand it but it's still it's hard here they were with Jesus and now he's gone the only way they could talk with him is through prayer they wanted to talk with him they needed his help they needed his direction so they prayed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They missed him. And so we looked at the, the, the work that, that, that God brought. It, it brought supplication. And we see the pr- place of prayer. Look at verse 13. What, what was the place of prayer? Do you see it? What was it? Yeah, it was the upper room. We're not quite sure what upper room it is. It'd be really neat if it was where the Last Supper was at. It'd be really neat. All, and, and there's people that try to prove that. I can't prove it. But it was the upper room. It was a place that they had, a gathering place. It wasn't a small place. How many people did they end up fitting in that upper room? Anybody remember? What's that? Yeah, 120. That's a lot of people. Can you imagine being in I mean, So it wasn't a small room. It was a room of congregation. People came together. There was 120 there. And uh, the, the, they, they, be, they, they were going to get together for this prayer meeting. One of the things that we really were talking about two weeks ago was the fact that the Christian must have a private prayer time, must have that closet that they get away with God and pray, must be able to have that relationship in prayer with God personally. But a church must also not just have people that are praying privately, but a church must have a place where we pray corporately, where we come together as a church and pray together. And we need those places. That's why we have times of prayer in our small groups on Sunday night, times of prayer on Wednesday night and having prayer times. That's why last Saturday morning I asked for all of our men that were leaders in this church to show up and come and join together with us and pray for our missions. Pray that God would really work. And we got together. We had a great group of men that got together and prayed and ladies that got together. But, you know, having that corporate time is important. And so we see the place of prayer. We see, secondly, we notice the people at prayer. There we see, once again, 120 people. Who attended that prayer meeting? Does anybody remember some of the people that attended that prayer meeting? The first one that we talked about. Who was there? Who was the, the main people that were there? Like I say main. The ones we, we always think about the most. The disciples, right. The leadership was there. Yeah, that's right. Jesus' mother ladies were there. It, several of the women were there. It was Jesus' mother was there. Jesus' brethren were there, new converts. Remember that? How, the, how the, they had rejected Christ uh, while he was here on earth in his ministry. They rejected it. I say brothers. I mean, 
half-brothers, make sure we say that, his half-brothers were there, and, and we know that they had come to believe in Christ. Now they're there, they're at a prayer meeting. You have these new converts that are there, you've got these ladies that are there, you have the leaders that are there, and, and they're, they're there, and, and so we need these same people. Now, obviously, you're not going to be Mary, you're not going to be one of the disciples, but we need the leaders of the church. We need for the ladies of the church. We need for new converts to be together with prayer as well. And that's, that's and, and the, the challenge was given a couple of weeks ago about of us actually praying and being part of um, praying for our church and for one another. And so that's where we left off. And I want to I pick up from there. And I want us to look at uh, next, our third part is the pattern in prayer. Our pattern in prayer that we see here. It's laid out for us. We see what they did. And the first thing we notice as we look at this pattern in prayer is that there was constancy. There was constancy. Look at verse number 14. It says, these all, what is the next word? What does it say? These all, look at verse 14. These all what? What they do? Continued. They continued. They continued. A.T. Robertson, he says this means that they stuck to praying. They were praying. They continued. You know, sometimes we'll have a men's prayer breakfast, and I say, now, guys, we want to pray for, you know, some, such and such amount of time. We'll set a time on that. And when you get done praying, don't talk. Just stay in a place of prayer. Continue in a heart of prayer. On Wednesday nights, when we get through praying, I say, you know, let's, let's not, let's not, while other people are praying, we stay in the, the mode of praying, and we're, we're sitting there quietly. And that, you know, that time, there's times when I'm talking to the Lord. I mean, I've already prayed. Now I'm coming up and thanking him, or I'm, something else is laid on my heart, and I'm praying. But this, this, is, this is not just a five-second prayer, okay? This is a continuation. This is something that they stuck to praying. It's similar to what you see in verse number 13 where it says they abode. This denotes sticking close to anything or person. They, they continued in prayer. They weren't erratic in their prayer. They were, it was frequent. It was uh, constantly. It was um, something that was perseveringly. It was something that was continued it was something that wasn't started and stopped. It wasn't something that got started for a week and then stopped for three months. It was consistence in prayer. The question we have is, do we pray with persistence? You pray for something and you pray one time and then you drop it. Do we pray with persistence? Someone has said that our praying is like the little boy that runs up to the door and knocks on the door. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? Knock on the door and run away before somebody opens it? A lot of people pray that way. Knock, 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 praying, and then you walk away and you run away before the door is ever open. Consistency. Praying consistently, not giving up. Praying without ceasing. Is that not a command that we see from God's word? To pray without ceasing? Not giving up on prayer. And so the first thing we see there, that there was constancy. Secondly, we see that there was unity. Unity. You know one of the key phrases you find throughout the book of Acts is with one accord. That's not a Honda either. I heard that one time, a long time ago. Somebody told that joke. I thought it was funny. My wife doesn't think it's funny. She's looking at me like, oh, man, that's one of those bad jokes. But it's not a Honda. It's with one accord. It's talking about Unity. Unity. It happens six times in the book of Acts. You see it in chapter 1. You see it in chapter 2 several times. Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 15. You see with one accord, with one accord, with one accord. You know what's amazing about all of that? Is that these 11 disciples were strong-willed men. Somebody give me an example as to why we know these disciples are probably strong-willed men. 
Anybody want to give an example of it? Why, why you would think they probably were strong-willed men? Anybody? Yeah, exactly. I was thinking that, too. Man, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to fish all night. All right, that's one example. Good. I thought of that. I'm thinking of another one, too. What do you think, Colin? Yeah, exactly. Strong-willed. No doubt about that. I, 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 you know, what's another one? I, I'm thinking of another one. There's a big one. Strong-willed men. You ever argued? Did the disciples ever argue? What kind of arguments did they have, and what was the argument about? Yeah, who's going to be the first? I'm going to sit in the highest position. Who's gonna? These were strong-willed men. These men, I mean, they probably weren't what you'd call type Z personalities. They probably were closer to A, I'm guessing. They were strong, strong-willed men. They had their own opinions. They had their own desires, their own wills. They were men just like us men, many of us. I mean, you know, you put, a, put, put three men inside a room, you're going to have possibly, before it's over, you might end up in an argument. I mean, because you have different opinions. I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. People have their opinions. People do. But these 11 disciples, here they're in the same room. Now, think about this. Then you have Christ's brothers, half-brothers, who had been so, think about it, they had been so perverse that they rejected his Messiahship. When Jesus is preaching about the kingdom, they rejected him. They rejected him. They rejected him. They remember how they even, they, they didn't want to be around him. And, and here they are. Now they're born-again Christians. Now they're there. Okay, so you have, you have these men that are new converts. You have his mother and a whole bunch of household of women. Now, I've got to be careful what I say next. I already said it about the guys, so ladies, don't get mad at me. But a lot of times, ladies can be opinionated about things. Guys can too, but ladies can be, you know, having the way things are. When you do a building project, you have to be really careful how you handle things. You try your best. <laughs> you try to be very careful how you do it. But, you know, here's these ladies. Now, let's step aside from that. Think about their background. Think about what kind of ladies these are. I mean, you got all different kinds of women. You got rich, you got poor, you got chaste. You have ladies that were unchaste before they got saved. I mean, the backgrounds they came from, some women would look at somebody that used to be a harlot and want nothing to do with them, even though they are a born-again Christian. They would think they're somehow better than they are, and they'd lift their nose up at Here they are, though, all this different mix of people together, and it says with one accord, there was unity. Unity. You know, that, that's the kind of praying that gets a divine response. When God's people... We'll put aside the petty differences. We'll put aside the, the, the challenges that we face and we'll come together in one accord and pray with unity. We so desperately need unity within the church. We need it. And I say that, I'm not saying that because necessarily I see an issue within Lighthouse Baptist Church. What I'm saying is if we're ever going to see God work in a great and powerful way, we must be in one accord. We must be in one accord more than just when it comes to picking out a color of a carpet. No, no, listen, that's a small thing. I'm talking about being in one accord when it comes to praying together, praying with a common cause and purpose, praying and working together, fellowshipping. You ever heard the definition of fellowship? I think my favorite definition for fellowship is fellows in a ship rowing in the same direction. We need to be in one accord, working together, a common cause, and, and the base of it being Praying, praying for God to work in a great and powerful way. And so they put all these differences aside. 
All their hearts were flowing in one mainstream. And this is where the power of God is manifested. And people know that God is taking the field. God is in control. This is what it's going to take. This is what we need in our prayer, in our, in our, our heart, in our church. And so there was constancy. There was unity. Thirdly, there was fervency. Fervency. Look at verse number 14 again, if you would. These all continued with one accord in prayer and, what's the next word? You see it? Supplication. In prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brethren. Of course, once again, I want to remind us that Mary was not being prayed to here. Mary was praying just like everybody else. But the key thing I want us to notice here is that they were, there was prayer and supplication. That word there, supplication, it suggests the petitioning aspect of intercession. Petitioning aspect. It's the laying hold of the Lord which will not let go or let up until something happens. It is laying hold unto God and saying, God, we, God, we need this. God, I'm not letting go. God, I'm going to continue to pray. It's supplication. It's holding on to. It's, it's fervency. Fervent prayer. When's the last time you prayed fervently? What is it that you're praying fervently for? Are we... Are we praying with constancy, with unity, with fervency? You see, those are the elements that we see here in that upper room. Are those elements evident in our prayer meetings? Does God's work bend our knees in prayer? You know, it, it, the early church, we're looking at it, we're talking about they were, but the early church was prayer conscious. What is the modern, modern church conscious about? Pleasure? What's going to be convenient? I mean, think about it. <laughs> I've noticed this throughout since I've been the pastor at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and I'm speaking to the choir right now. But do you ever notice that when you have a banquet and you got a lot of food, that more often you get one of your bigger show-ups of people? I mean, if you're going to have a pig roast, or you're going to have a, I mean, turkey and all the fixings, and we're going to have a Mother's Day, and you're going to have all these different things. And by the way, we, we know that that works. That's why we do it, because we like the fellowship, we like to eat, but we want to get people here. So it's a good tool. But you ever notice that how many people show up if you say you're going to have some kind of food event? What about if you just said, we're going to be having a prayer meeting? You see the point. And and the truth is, most of us are probably guilty of that in some way because it's that way in our life and what we do and what's important. We can talk about the people that showed up, but, I mean, the people that show up to eat the food but never help with anything else, and you get, man, why don't they help tear down? Why don't they help set up? They'll show up when there's food, but if there's work to be done, where are they at? You know, you think things like that. Now, I... I think all of us, there's times it crosses your mind. You say, well, man, I wish they'd show up when there's other things. I, you know, and the, the truth is, in our church, we've got some great workers here. So this is not an attack on that at all. All I'm saying is it's human nature. And the problem is, is we can easily look at stuff like that and get angered by it, get upset by it, and then step back and say, well, what about prayer? If, if God is going to say, I'm going to hand out a million dollars, are you going to show up to that meeting? Are you going to want to be with God? If, if you're going to be blessed with something, we have our thinking wrong. 
Yet if we say we're going to have a prayer meeting, you have a hard time getting people to show up. Not just prayer meetings, though. How about your personal prayer time? How about spending time in prayer with God? I mean, if, if somebody were to say to you, if you will pray tonight, God's going to give you a million dollars. Now, I'm not Joel Osteen, so I'm not saying that. I'm not going to sell you soap to wash away your sin either. But what if, what if somebody said that? Would you do it? What would be the motivation behind you actually praying? And I say this. I, listen, I'm, I'm preaching to myself when I say this. But the problem is we don't see the importance of prayer. Because if we saw the importance of prayer, we would pray with constancy, with unity and fervency. We would do it more. We wouldn't miss a prayer time because we don't want to miss out on the blessing that God wants to give us in that time. We wouldn't miss that time that we get to be able to get before him and thank him for what he's done for us. and Adore him and, and worship him and thank him. And yes, make our petitions known unto him. We wouldn't want to miss that time. Because I'll tell you what, what we get from God in prayer is way more valuable than anything this world could ever give you. We've got to get to the place that we realize that. That's where the power was at with these people. Here we talk, I say people, we often say the apostles, the disciples. Just like us. They had different callings, some of them, yes. But they were people just like us, and they understood the need for prayer. They weren't going to go do it on their own. They had 10 days they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. They needed to pray during that time. There's times that in our life, listen, that we miss out on the power of God because we have not prayed with consistency and unity and fervency. So we see the work of God. It brought supplication. Secondly, notice the word of God brought illumination. The word of God brought illumination. Do you notice here how the word of God and prayer go together? The word of God and prayer go together. We need to understand that concept. We've got to understand that the word of God and prayer must go together. You cannot separate the word of God and prayer. If you do, you're going to have problems in your life. If you separate the word of God and prayer, you're going to have problems. You can read and read and read and read, but if you're not praying, you're going to have problems. You can pray and pray and pray and pray, but if you're not reading God's word, you're going to have problems. They go together like this. We've got to understand that. Notice what Jesus said in John 15, verse 7. Notice on the screen. Notice what it says. We know this verse very well, but let's apply it now to what we're talking about. If you abide in me, what's the next phrase? And my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. What's the application? Help me out. Let's just talk this through. Let's break it down. Look at it. If ye abide in me, and my word abides in you, okay, what's the word abiding in you? What is that? Simple. Come on, just. What's that? Yeah, the word of God is dwelling within us. Okay, we're talking about the word of God here. That's exactly what he's talking about. So, then what's connected to that? Colin, what's connected to it? What is it? Yeah, the word of God and Jesus. And then the next phrase is what? Asking. What is prayer? Simplest definition of prayer is asking. It's that simple. Asking. You have not because you ask not. It's simple. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus abiding in you, you're born again Christian, you've got Jesus in your heart, you need the word of God in your heart, and then ye shall ask what ye will, and it will be done unto you. The word of God and prayer go hand in hand. You've got to have both of them. 
And as you go through the Bible, you'll find that God's tools for ministry are the Word of God and prayer. You see it again and again and again. You realize if it wasn't for the Word of God and prayer, you wouldn't even be saved tonight? And so we have to understand that there are tools that go together. You see, the Word of God gives enlightenment, and prayer gives enablement. The Word of God gives enlightenment. Prayer gives enablement. We get into the Word of God, we're enlightened by what God teaches us in His Word. And you know what, by the way, reading the Word of God even teaches you how to pray. It tells you how to pray. It tells you what to pray for. It helps to guide your prayer life. Without the Word of God, you know, you can't have a proper prayer life. You can't have it. They go together. The Word of God gives enlightenment. Prayer gives enablement. And so when we read the Word of God, our faith is increased. Because why? Why is our faith increased when we read the Word of God? Somebody give me a verse that says that. Anybody? Faith cometh by and hearing by the Word of God. That's a promise from the Word of God. God tells us that. So we get into the Word of God. It increases our faith. What is the major reason why we don't pray as we should? What do you think it is? Okay, that's true. It's time. Let's say we pray, we have the time, but we don't have power in our prayer. Why don't we? Lack of faith. Lack of faith. Why do we have lack of faith? Where does faith come from? The Word of God. We've got to tie them together. Now, I know there's depth to all of that. I get it. I understand. I know where you're going, J.D. I understand that. But the thing is, if we don't read the Word of God, we don't have the faith. Without the faith, we don't pray as we should. Why wouldn't we pray more? Why wouldn't we? You think about that. Why don't I ask God for everything that I need? Or why don't I ask God for direction? Why don't I ask God for wisdom? It's because I think what? What do I think? I know better. I don't need it. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trusting in God. And so we need the Word of God to help us. And you get into the Word of God and it will change your thinking. It will renew your mind. It will wash your heart. It'll change the way you see things. It'll cause you to pray in a way that you never prayed before. If you get into the Word of God, you'll have power in your prayer. And then you shall ask what you will. Yeah. And so many Christians today said, well, God said, I can just ask whatever I want and I'm going to get it. That's not what the Bible says at all. Not at all. We're asking according to his will. And how do you know what God's will is? You read the Word of God. We've got to connect the two. The Word of God gives enlightenment. Prayer gives enablement. And so, when we pray, God answers because our praying is guided by the Word of God. And, you know, it's interesting. when you see, If you look at this, this concept I'm talking about, the Word of God and prayer, it formed the foundation for the ministry of the church. It's recorded all through Acts. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. It says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, who's saying that there, and why are they saying it? Help me out. This is Acts chapter 6, famous chapter. Why are, who's saying this, and why are they saying it? Anybody? Colin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, they, were, they were going about the ministration of the, the bread instead of doing what was the most important thing. Now, that being said, what, what it is, this is the foundation of it, foundational concept of the church. The apostles, they knew 
that they needed to pray and they needed to be in the ministry of the word. It was important that they did that. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't serve in any other way. Listen, I've been doing all kinds of things this year. I mean, with us doing all this stuff, you know, helping build these things and doing all kinds of things like that. I've got to be careful, though, that I don't do that so much that I don't have time to pray and I don't have time to read God's word. I have to be very careful with that. And I praise the Lord for a, a great church, man. It's been great to work with you guys. We've had so much help, and I praise the Lord for that. And, but we have to be careful. It's a principle of life, not just for the pastor. It's a principle of life for every child of God that you don't get so busy that you're not praying and reading God's word. And if we're doing that, we're no better than the person that just shows up with the food being served. Think about that. We're no better than that. We're willing to show up and give God our time when it means we're going to get a blessing, but we're not willing to do it when it means that we have to actually invest our time and, and it's going to take time from our schedule. It's important we understand that. And so <clears throat> we're going to make a transition, and I want you to notice. So at this time, the disciples are probably wondering. We see a transition that happens here in, the, in, the, in the, this, the verses that we're looking at here. And they're wondering, well, okay, there's only, how many disciples are left? Apostles are left. Judas has betrayed. How many are left? There's 11, right? They're probably wondering, okay, so what should we do? Uh, Christ had told them something interesting in Matthew 19, verse 28. This is a transition, but I want you to notice it. Look at Matthew 19, 28 on the screen. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye sh which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. They remembered this. So how many disciples, how many apostles did they have at this point that were in our, our scripture? Eleven. All right, now they're down to eleven. So Peter, he directed, being directed by the word of God, he replaces Judas. Look at verse number 16. Acts 1, 16, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. So Peter, here he is, he's reviewing the sin of Judas. And, and I want you to notice the first point is the, the point about sin. The point about sin in verse 16, Peter is simply making the point that what Judas did was prophesied in the Old Testament. He's talking about the prophecy being fulfilled. Another prophecy being fulfilled about Jesus is this prophecy of Judas betraying Jesus. Incidentally, Peter, he believed in the inspiration of Scripture. He believed in the, that the, the Holy Spirit uses the pen of a writer. Numa, he breathes through the writer and he wrote that. He believed in that. He saw the fulfillment of Scripture and God fulfilling his prophecy. And by the way, God's plan was not thwarted because Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Did, did, did Jesus know all along who Judas was? He knew exactly. And, and so he, his plan wasn't thwarted. Also, God does not lose those who really belong to him. There's some people that want to talk about how Judas was really a follower of Christ, but he rejected Christ and he sold out. And basically he took the, the, the money and, uh, and ran. And so therefore he lost his salvation. That's not what I see in Judas at all. I see a man that's corrupt from, from beginning to end, a man that was never born again, a man that was never truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and so God does not lose those who really belong to him. The Lord Jesus said this in, in John 17, verse 12. He says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. He's praying to his father. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus knew that. He knew, the, obviously, 
he knew what the prophecy was. And, and so Judas's betrayal, it fulfilled Scripture. Now here's a question. Does that mean then that Judas was made by God to betray Jesus Christ? Did God make Judas betray Jesus Christ? But the Bible prophesied that that was going to happen. So what's the answer? Yeah, God knew his heart before he was born. God knew what he was going to do. And, and for me, that's an easy answer for people that say that um, predestination, God knows whether you're going to receive Christ or not before the foundation of the world. God already knows whether you're going to receive him. And, and so he knew that this was going to happen. He did not make Judas. God is not the author of sin. God did not create sin. Sin was in the heart of Satan. Sin was found in the heart of man, but God did not create that. What is amazing by it is that we see the, the doctrine of soul liberty. God gives us the ability to choose. Judas had a choice. God already knew what his choice was, but that did not condemn him. What, did, what condemned Judas? Okay, he didn't repent, good. All right, it was his choice, a choice that he made. All right, so, but God, God does not um, let go of those that are saved. Um, and so God, um, you know, another point, God works through men whether they're saved or not. God can work through, somebody tell me the most unusual way that God worked in the Old Testament. In your estimation. What's that? Yeah, I was thinking of that one too. King Cyrus and Ezra. Look at the very beginning. King Cyrus was the one that actually said, I'm going to build the, king, the, the temple. And, and so you look at this amazing, you go back to chapter 1 of Ezra, right? So he used King Cyrus, absolutely, to rebuild the second temple. What, who else? Most unusual using of unsaved people or things to do God's will or send his message. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, Paul, absolutely. Paul, man, he was a persecutor of the Christians, and he wanted to, he was right there probably holding the coats while they, they stoned Stephen, the first martyr. Absolutely. What else? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. I know. Balaam's donkey. God can even use a donkey to get a hold of your attention if he wants to, right? Amen to that. Some of us are like, praise the Lord, I can be used by God. No. <laughs> Oh, my. You know, listen, God, God will use people. God, God allowed for, he knew what Judas was going to do. And as a result of Jesus, you know, think about that. Could God have done it a different way? Absolutely. But God even used a man like Judas. And through that, he allowed for, that to, uh, for his son to give his life for us, which is an amazing point. And so we see the point about his sin that he points out. Secondly, we see the punishment of his sin. The punishment. Look at verse number 18. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Now I just want you to stop and think about that for a moment. You ever see anybody's bowels gush out? I've never seen a person like that, but I've seen deer like that, and it's not a pretty sight. I've had shots that did not do very well and went right down the side of a deer and opened it up, and the bowels, I just, you know, but think about that. Yeah, you're like, oh, that's gross. Burst asunder in the midst, headlong. And look at verse 19. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, so much as the field is called in the proper tongue, akladama, that is to say, the field of blood. 
That money that Judas returned was used to purchase the field that he happened to die in, which is an amazing thing, too. And according to Matthew 27, 5, he hung himself, but apparently the rope broke and he fell headlong and burst asunder. What a mess. I'll tell you what, rejecting God will end your life in a very bad way. Rejecting God, being, uh, rejecting, you know, you think about, I got to just stop for a moment. You got to think about, here's a man that was there with Jesus when he performed those miracles. He was there with Jesus in that night times when they were down and sitting in that room. And when Jesus was teaching the disciples, he was there and he saw Jesus feed the 5,000. He was there when he saw Jesus calm the storm. You think about, he, he saw Jesus raise people from the dead. He saw all these things. And yet in the end, look at his life. Look at what it ended up. And you think that's bad. That's nothing compared to where he's at right now. Headlong, the Bible says. He was headlong to his way to hell. I can't help but preach the fact when you read something like this to think that there are people that are sitting in pews just like this or chairs just like this in churches across the country that are headlong headed for hell because they've rejected Christ. Punishment of sin. What was his punishment for? What sin was it? What was the sin for? What was the sin? Help me out. What was it? He betrayed Christ? Yeah, okay. Let's add to that. What did he do? He denied him. That's the bottom line. He was willing to take the pleasures of this world. He thought that he could get gain by being part of that group. He was the one that tended the money. He was the one that sold Jesus for the price of a slave. He was willing to take that money. He was more interested in the things of this world than he was in the things of God. He had the absolute truth right there before him, and yet he denied it. There are going to be Christians, I believe, that they're going to be at the great white throne judgment. They've been in church. They've heard the, the message. They've heard the word of God. They've seen God work. They've seen people get saved. They've seen God answer prayer. They've seen God do many wonderful things. And the only thing they care about is the cares of this world. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And I challenge us with that tonight because we need to make sure that we are part of the faith. Whether you're a child of God. When you look at this, we see the that, that here, the punishment of his sin and, and what physically happened in his life. But we know that right now, that, that Judas is right now in hell. In hell. A traitor turning from God, even knowing the truth. And so the most important prayer that we could ever pray is the prayer of repentance. And once we say the prayer of repentance and we know that we're born again, we're a child of God, we need to understand that the power that we have in our life to have the victory that God wants us to have is the word of God and praying. The word of God and praying. Let's all stand up. We'll stop right there and have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you for being true. You cannot lie. Thank you for being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, you have promised to go with us even to the end of the world. Lord, you promised to give us the power that we need to fulfill the commission that you've given. And Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for preserving your word that we can open and read it. Lord, we know that it is your word. Have no doubt of it. 
Thank you that your word helps our faith to grow. Lord, I pray that we would continue to grow in our faith. Lord, that it would be visible by our prayer life. Our faith would be strong and our faith would then produce prayer and prayer would then we see you answer prayer and the power of prayer and our faith would continue to grow and we read your word and we grow. Lord, I pray that we would pray according to your will, according to the will of your word. Lord, that we would see you answer prayer in a great and powerful way. Lord, I pray that our church would see revival. I pray that our community would see revival. Lord, I pray that we'd see many souls saved. Lord, we see the result of this early church as they prayed. We receive the power of your Holy Spirit. Many thousands were saved. Lord, help us to see souls saved. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone that would be here, that would hear this message, Lord, that they do not know you as their personal Savior, they've never been born again, that they would come and trust in you as their Savior. With our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, let me ask you, do you know Christ? Do you know 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven? Do you have that peace? Is there a time and place in your life you can look back to and say, yes, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. If that's your testimony, would you lift your hand up? Say, yes, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. God bless you. Put your hands down. Praise the Lord. Maybe God's speaking to your heart tonight. You don't have that peace. I wouldn't be in, listen now, I wouldn't let anybody here that embarrass you to make you think that if you said, I'm not sure. Listen, I wouldn't let that be something that would cause you to die and go to hell. Don't go to hell for anybody. Don't worry about what people think. The question is, do you know? Have you been born again? Is Christ real in your life? You're here tonight, you say, preacher, I'm, I'm honest right now. I don't know. I don't have that peace. Could I pray for you with our heads bowed, eyes closed? Would you just slip your hand up? Say, I don't know. I don't have that peace. Christian, how's your prayer life? How's your Bible study? How's the power of God in your life? What are you living for? How's your faith? God speaking to your heart tonight? What are your priorities? You want the power of God in your life? You want God to answer prayer? Is God speaking to your heart tonight? something in your life you prayed about, you've let go. You've knocked on the door and you've walked away before the door is open. Why don't you go back to God and pray? Why don't you pray until He tells you no or says yes? But don't give up. Man, it's impossible, but all things are possible with God.
believe it? Do you have faith to believe it tonight? The power of prayer. Your faith is weak. Get in the Word of God. 